This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig further into St. Luke's Gospel with Parable of the Minas Part 2, Triumphal Entry, Jesus Weeps Over Jerusalem, The Authority of Jesus, and The Wicked Tenants. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider.
The Lord has redeemed his people. reading from Matthew chapter 22. The same day Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no children, left his wife to his brother. 
so too the second and the third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, you ha have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. O oh Lord, have mercy on us. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. is forgiven and whose sin is put away. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. thing to do in your theological interview is to choose two professors that don't agree about some important theological point. Then, once you're in the midst of the thing, you quietly bring up the issue and then sit back and enjoy the show. The professors ratchet themselves up and there you sit like the Mike Michael Jackson meme, eating popcorn. Bottom line, you're off the hook for the remainder of the interview as the two profs forget that you're even there as they spend the balance of your time arguing with one another. Did I do this in my TI 33 years ago? I will neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> but I will say it always works. Unless, unless one of the profs in the midst of this turns to you and says, well, where do you stand on this? And the dream immediately turns into a nightmare as you're put on the spot. You have to take a stand. Here I can speak to personal experience, though not from a TI. In my last year, I was invited to read a sermon here in chapel. Now, it might surprise you to learn that we were embroiled in several controversies, theological and otherwise, at that time. I know this is difficult, if not impossible, to believe. 
a theological controversy in the LCMS at CTSFW. Amazing! Well, one, of the, one among the many that were simmering at the time was one that consistently boiled over, namely John 6. And whether it was the Eucharist, Eucharistic, or something altogether different. Yes, we were arguing about John 6 even then. And you've already put together the end of the story, I suppose. The text assigned to me to preach on was John 6. Having used a diversionary tactic to pass my TI, I was now convinced that an angry God in the form of the seminary administration had this sinner in his hands. What to do? I wish I could tell you, but I have absolutely no recollection of the event. The utter anxiety, fear, and panic drove the memory of it completely out of my mind. Maybe it's simple repression. Regardless, the only thing I recall is bumping into then Professor Wenthe shortly after chapel. He was very complimentary and encouraging, as always, and said something along the lines of, you must have been sweating bullets when you got that assignment. And then said in his inimitable way, <laughs> that was brilliant. Everyone found something they could be happy with in your homily. Good job. So I was feeling pretty good about myself until it dawned on me if everybody could find something they were happy with in the sermon, surely they could also find something they didn't like. Perhaps as you're doing right now, saying, when will he stop talking about himself? Look at today's text. The theologians of Jesus' day are embroiled in a theological controversy. And it's about, amazingly, marriage. I am shocked. Shocked. Well, not that shocked. The same day the Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So to the second and the third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? Are they telling an actual story? Sounds more to me like a created or at least an expanded narrative, and its intention is to provoke an argument. Its intention is to divide. Its purpose is to create and sustain discord. And above all, it is calculated to put Jesus on the spot. Just where do you stand on all of this, Jesus, they seem to ask. And they are poised to judge and condemn his response. 
If Jesus were you or me, and thanks be to God he's not, he might try to give everyone a little something to make them happy. But instead, he blows the whole thing up. He takes their theological speculations and forthrightly rejects them. You are wrong. You are wrong. All of you are wrong. And you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. You read Moses and speculate endlessly on the law, and this veils you to God's proper work. Namely, me, Jesus says. For the power of the God is the gospel. And as central as discussions of law are, it cannot move us spiritually to good and beneficial works. Nor can endless arguments about John 6 or anything else if they simply engage us in disputation to divide. And this again is why Jesus says to the Sadducees, to us, you are wrong. Because, like us, they're asking the wrong question. And by asking the wrong question, they end up, and we end up, missing the whole point. So Jesus makes it for them. For in the resurrection, he says, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. More specifically, God is the God of the living one, the firstborn of the resurrection, even Christ our Lord, the ransom for our sin and the victor over hell and death. And that is the point. The whole point, not this other goofy stuff and weird scenarios. God is not the God of dead speculation, but he is the God of living hope in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that, I might add, is what astonishes the people then and now. So if you aren't astonished at Jesus' way of handling this, it's time to engage the Gospels more fully. Theological questions will always arise, and they need to be addressed faithfully and well. But as they confront us, and as we together engage them, recall Jesus' approach and his corrective to the Sadducees. That is to say, as you dissect the theological controversies of these days and of the days to come, keep in mind the words of Jesus. He is not the God of that which leads to death, but the God of life, even of the gospel, even 
of Jesus Christ, the Living One. And it might also help us to remember the words of the hymn we just sang, which truly says it all. Sing my tongue the glorious battle. Sing the ending of the fray. Now above the cross the trophy sound the loud triumphant lay. Tell how Christ, the world's redeemer, as a victim won the day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
our Father, who art in heaven, prayers we give thanks to God for the gift of healing to Emily Needing, wife of seminarian Adam Needing, and pray for her continued recovery. We also pray for Colleen Rinquist, wife of seminarian Nash Rinquist, who was previously hospitalized last evening. Let, let us pray. Almighty God, Grant that in the midst of our failures and weaknesses, we may be restored through the passion and intercession of your only begotten Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, you provide for all needs of body and soul, we thank you for the strengthening of Emily and, th and ask that you would continue to sustain and support her in body and soul. Preserve Colleen with your merciful hand and defend her from harm and danger that she might always trust in your promise of life and resurrection through Jesus Christ our Lord. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, you have safely brought us to the beginning of this day. Defend us in the same with your mighty power and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by your governance, may be righteous in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Oh, 